You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. Okay, it is good to see you. Mark chapter 1 is where we are. So if you want to go ahead and grab your Bible and turn there, if you need a Bible, feel free to grab one of those underneath every four or five seats. You should see them. And so it would definitely serve you to have your Bible open and in front of you. Uh, recently, as you're turning there, let me just kind of preface our text this way. Recently, I read a book called Gospel Wakefulness. It's by a guy named Jared Wilson. And uh, to try to describe what he's talking about with the term gospel wakefulness, he uses this imagery. He says, if you can imagine driving your car and uh, about the time you, you slow to, to come across some railroad tracks, your car stalls. And you're obviously a little bit nervous because no one likes to be, you know, stalled on railroad tracks. Um, but, but your nervousness is heightened when you look down the tracks and see a train approaching. And as you look down the track, you, you see that that train is approaching and the gap is closing much more quickly than you dared thought or dared dream that it was. And so you're, you're trying to start the car, you're trying to, to save the car, you're trying to get, you know, the car moving off the track. And, and the, the train is, is continually, you know, closing, the gap is shrinking, and you realize that we're past the point of saving the car, now it's just you trying to save your life. And, and, but the problem is, at this point, you've become so paralyzed by fear that you can't unfasten the seatbelt. Like, your extremities are not working, your hands aren't working right, nothing's working right. And you come to this crashing reality that that train is about to slam into you. That the engineer has thrown on the brakes, but it is way too close and going way too fast. It is about to crash. And all of a sudden, something does crash, but it's from behind. And the guy that is behind you in line has come and shoved your car out of the way. And you look in your rearview mirror just in time to see the truck slam into his, you know, to see the train slam into his truck and kill him. And, and, and you get out of the car, and you're just dazed and confused. You can't believe that, that you just witnessed a guy who shoved your car out of the way so, so that you could be saved as it strikes him. Now, this is the moment in this imagery, he's talking about conversion. That this is the moment you step out of the car, and you can't believe what somebody has done for you. It's this moment of recognizing all that Jesus has done for you on the cross and realizing that he has taken your place for your sin and he saved you. And you're dazed and confused. You've come out of the car and, and you reach to grab your phone. You sit down on your tru- trunk about to call 911. And about the time you sit down on the trunk, you hear someone whimper from inside. And you quickly open the trunk and find that, you, that something you didn't know. Your kids were playing hide-and-go-seek before you left the house. And your youngest son had crawled in your trunk to hide. And it's in this moment that you realize a bigger reality of what happened at that moment of being pushed off the tracks. You get a deeper sense of what all was saved in that moment. And this is his imagery for gospel wakefulness. It's when a person that has been redeemed by Jesus gets a deeper and fuller and bigger sense of their redemption. It's when a person that has been saved by Jesus gets a bigger and deeper and fuller sense of that salvation. Now that is an imagery, and this is a hope that I have for us this morning as we look at this passage. That maybe God in his grace might grant us through this passage some gospel wakefulness. That the God might grow in us a bigger and a deeper and a more full full appreciation for all that he has done for us in the person and work of Jesus. That those of us in the room who are redeemed, that we might get a bigger and a deeper and more full sense of that redemption. That maybe God in his grace might do something in our heart where the gospel just begins to explode inside of us. Okay, that's the angst. That's where this text is going. So in light of that, let me just kind of drive the morning with four questions of of this text. Four things. And here's going to be the first one. Question number one. Is what is leprosy? So you see this word mentioned in the first part of verse 40. Mark chapter 1, verse 40. The first six or seven words here go like this. And a leper came to him. Now that word leper is really important. If we miss kind of the full breadth of that word, we're going to miss much of the meaning of the text. 
Like if we don't get that word, we're going we're gonna to miss the, the, the multiple layers that's kind of embedded into this text. Because, and here's the problem we all have. When we think leprosy, that is kind of a back then pro- problem from, from our culture's perspective and our generation's perspective. It's a back then problem or it's an over there problem. Maybe in some third world place, but, but it's a back then and over there. So we're going to have to get a little bit of work going on to, to describe what this word leprosy means. So let me just preface it this way. That leprosy is a disease that affects the total condition of a person. It's a disease that affects the total condition. Not just one component of a person, but the total condition of a person. So let me just walk through three of these conditions. So first, let's talk about the physical condition of leprosy. The physical condition. Leprosy causes your body to literally fall apart. To fall apart. So physically, it's a horrible condition. Leprosy's most debilitating physical effect is that it numbs you of the sense of pain. It takes away your capacity to feel pain. Now think about what pain is for you. Although none of us really like pain when we're enduring it, it's a great thing, isn't it? If you think about your home and if you have an alarm system, that alarm system is is alerting you that something is wrong at the house when it goes off. And this is what pain is. It's an alarm system. It's alerting you that something has gone wrong in your body. This is what pain is. But the problem with people who have leprosy is that alarm system no longer exists. Dr. Paul Brand, uh, he's a doctor and he also is a missionary who really has given his life to to helping people with leprosy. He, He describes leprosy this way. He calls it a painless hell. I mean, could you imagine being devoid of your sense of pain? Not being able to feel pain. So he describes some of what he's seen in regards to people not being able to feel pain. So he describes this scene of watching a person boiling potatoes. So they've got a heavy cast iron pot, potatoes are in it, boiling the potatoes. And and when the potatoes are done, he watches this person with leprosy reach their hand into that boiling water without flinching to grab the potato not realizing that they're also boiling their, their, their skin, their own flesh. They, they don't know that. He tells the story of trying to figure out why these people were losing their extremities, why, why they were coming in without fingers and toes, like what was going on. And he finally realized that what was happening is they were going to sleep in the middle of the night, and because they couldn't feel, rats were coming and literally chewing off their extremities, but they had no idea it was happening. I mean, just imagine not being able to feel that, right? He goes on and he describes watching people turn their ankles in just horrendous ways, ripping and tearing tendons and ligaments all throughout their ankle. And and rather than like it causing them to stop and to address that issue, they would just kind of adjust their walk and keep going like nothing had happened, tearing more of it. I mean, so, so you're seeing that these physical effects, he talks about how a lot of people with leprosy go blind And it's not because leprosy causes them to go blind. It's because without that sensation of pain, they forget to blink. So you're just seeing all of these terrible physical effects of leprosy. As it continues to spread across a person's body, people's eyebrows and eyelashes would disappear. It would attack your throat, causing you to have a very raspy voice, straining to speak. It would cause and create these spongy tumors to appear throughout, uh, kind of all over your body. It would, uh, typically because of the effects of doing things like sticking your hands in boiling water, you would have these open sores that would be um, created all over your body. And with those open sores came this distinct odor that people with leprosy would have. So we're talking terrible physical effects. Eventually a person would wake up in a coma or go to sleep kind of in a coma and just not wake up and they would die. This was leprosy. Maybe 15, 20, maybe even 25 years of that and eventually die. One guy described leprosy like this. Leprosy was a slow death in which men died in inches. This is the debilitating physical effects of leprosy. But as bad as those physical effects are, it was very tame compared to the social effects of leprosy. Socially, people were cut off from community. They were ostracized. They they would have to be kept in kind of the outskirts of town. Uh, Leviticus 13 and 14 describe kind of the biblical law surrounding this idea of leprosy and what people with leprosy had to endure and go through. And this will be on the screen for you. It's, it's Leviticus chapter 13, verse 45 and 46, kind of give the summation of what a life would be like if you had leprosy. And, and here were kind of the laws that came around this. It said this, 
The leprous person who has the disease shall, shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. Okay, so if you can just imagine this, that you would have to dress in such, of a, in such a way that it describes your physical condition. So you would have to, to dress in rags, very unkept, just to show a picture of what you really look like. What, what your condition is. You'd have to cover your face. And if you bumped into anyone, if you were around a group of people, you would have to yell out, unclean, unclean. Now, can you just imagine that? Let's just say you wanted to go to the grocery store this afternoon, and when you walked in the front door of the grocery store, you had to announce to everyone in there, unclean, unclean. I mean, can you imagine that? By the time of Jesus' day, the rabbis had piled on just ridiculous laws on top of what the Bible had already prescribed. Not just, and here was the, kind of the biblical idea in, in, in Leviticus, was to keep lepers away from the community because they were contagious. But, but the rabbis piled a million things onto that that kept the community away from lepers. So they would pile on laws like this. If, if you were to walk under a tree that a leper had set under, then you were unclean. That it was illegal even to greet a leper. Um, it's said in some ancient, re ancient reports of some rabbis that certain religious people would actually carry rocks in their pocket just in case they saw a leper that they could drive him away. Okay, this was the social situation of lepers. It goes on in verse 46 to say this. And he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. They were the most isolated and, and ostracized people of their day. Socially just starved to death. One commentator says this about leprosy. He says, The disease robbed them of their health, and the sentence imposed on them as a consequence robbed them of their name, their, their occupation, their habits, their family, and fellowship, and worst of all, their worshiping community. Josephus, an early uh, Jewish historian in the first century, he described the life of a leper like this. They were treated as if they were, in effect, dead men. That's the social situation of a leper. As if they were dead men, totally ostracized from the community, socially starved people. But they were also, it, it, it killed their spiritual condition. Not just their physical, not just their social, but also that they're spiritual. Uh, because they had leprosy, they were considered unclean. They were considered cut off from God. Now, in addition to that, the people of their day thought that if you had leprosy, it was because you did something to deserve leprosy. So this was something that you earned from God. This was something that you deserved. So these people were cut off from God and the worshiping community. This is their spiritual condition. They were unclean, as if God would not dare come after them, never dream to pursue them. This, this was the physical, social, and spiritual condition of a leper. Kind of in summation, you could maybe think of a leper's life like this. Leprosy was a complete destruction of the body and the soul of a human being. They were breaking apart one day at a time. This is leprosy. Okay, now here's, here's a key of the morning right here is if all you do is listen to that this morning, you are not going to get the flavor of this text and, and, the, and the depth of this text. So I'm going to ask you to do more for just a second than just listen to that. I'm going to ask you to feel that. I, just for a moment, for you to put yourself into the shoes of this leper in this text. So can, can you just take a second to imagine this with me? You, you're walking down this dusty, dirty road that you have walked down a million times before. It's the road that leads outside of the city to where the lepers stayed. It's the road that led up the hill to where your little tree is on top of this hill that you call home. You're walking down this dusty, dirty little road, and all of a sudden a family approaches, and you have to yell out as soon as you see them, unclean, unclean. I mean, can you just imagine the humiliation in that moment? And as soon as you yell that out, you see that, that little mom and dad with their couple of kids there, you, you see the mom and dad recoil. You, you see them grab their kids and kind of shove the kids behind them to keep kind of you out of their sight line. 
And, and you see the mom and dad just look at you with a despairing and a disdaining look. You can tell that they're totally grossed out by you. And it's hard to blame them. There was one moment in your life where a person held up a mirror in front of you where you could see yourself and you swore to yourself that you would never look at a mirror again. I mean, just feel that for a second. This is a scene that's played itself out a million times in your life. And you've grown to the point where you're actually numb to it. It doesn't even bother you anymore. But something about this moment does. When you saw that little young family there, just for a moment you had a flash of your family that you had before leprosy ripped them out of your hands some 15 or 20 years ago. Just think about that for a second. You had a family just like them. Leprosy came, your family disintegrated. You thought about the wife that that hasn't touched you in in some 15 or 20 years. You're thinking about the kids who have grown up without you in their life. You're thinking about the grandkids that are there that you have never had the opportunity to meet. And, And in that moment, something inside of you just breaks. Something snaps inside of you. Despair just swallows you up. By the time you, you, you get down the dusty, dirty little road up the hill to where your little tree is that you call home, despair has just overcome you. You can barely breathe as you sit down. And it's in that moment you're up on the, your little hill under your little tree that you call home overlooking the city that you see commotion in the city that you've never seen before. And it seems like the entire city is running to this one man in the middle of it. And all of a sudden, you start to connect these dots and realize that must be Jesus. You've never seen him. You've never, you've never you know, spoken to him, but you've heard about him. You've heard that this is the man who healed Peter's mother-in-law. You've heard about this man who has been healing diseases and casting out demons. And all of a sudden, as you're watching this commotion in the city, and you realize that that is Jesus in your town. That's him Something kind of returns to you that you haven't felt in years. This little four-letter word called hope. And all of a sudden, you start to fight through your despair as you stand up and you decide, I am going after him. Now that's where we pick up our text in verse 40. And we pick up question number two. What did this leper do? Mark chapter 1, verse 40 answers the question. And a leper came to him, imploring Jesus, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Three things this leper does. Number one, this leper recognizes that he has leprosy. I mean, he recognizes that he's got something that is defiling him. Something that has made him unclean. Like there's no doubt in this man's life that he has a problem. There's no doubt in this man's life that he is defiled. There is no doubt that he is cut off from the people of God. All he has to do if he is ever in doubt or denial is to look at himself. This man realizes there is something wrong with him. That he has a disease that is keeping him on the outside. This man recognizes he has leprosy. Number two. This man believed that there was one who could make him clean. I mean, this man believed that Jesus actually had the power to do that. And and I love his words here. It's, if you will, you can make me clean. And did you just see what's implied there? It's not a question of power. This guy knows that Jesus has the power to actually do that. Jesus has the power to change him, to cleanse him, to to alter everything about him. Jesus has the power to do that. This man just questioning, will he do it? Will Jesus do it? That's his question. But he recognizes that Jesus actually has the power to change this in him. And thirdly, this man ran to the one who could cleanse him. He, he ran to the one who could cleanse him. Look, look at verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling. I love how one pastor described this. He said, this is a mad dash for life. That's what this is. This man has recognized that, that he has a problem, that Jesus is the only one with the solution, and it has created in him a craziness. 
that I will do whatever it requires to get to that man. Now, now listen, just remember that this guy's breaking every social code that there is. Every law that there is, he is breaking it. He is risking his life. There is a sense in which he is saying, Jesus, you are my only hope. You can either kill me or cleanse me, but I'm coming after you. Like This is what's happening in this moment. And I, I love his, his, his question. If you will. He's demanding nothing, but he is asking everything, isn't he? I mean, his posture is humble. He's on his knees before God, pleading with Jesus to change him. And here's the wonder of the passage. Look at verse 41. This outcast, socially starved, spiritually cut off, dirty, defiled, stained leper. Look at Jesus' response, verse 41. Moved with pity. I mean, what? I mean, where are the rocks, right? It says he's moved with pity that Jesus looks at this man who has been physically broken by the effects of the fall. And he, he, he's got compassion for him. He is moved by that. He's heartbroken about that. Moved with pity, Jesus does something. He stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. Commentators are quick to pick up on this word, uh, or these two words, touched him, and for good reason. This is a man who is considered untouchable. This is a man who, if you were alive in first century world, you would probably not have touched. And yet Jesus touches him. And listen to Paul Brand as he describes the importance to, of touch to a leper. He, he describes it this way. More than any other person in the world, the person with leprosy needs to be treated by somebody who will reach out his hand and touch him. Oh, I have seen men break down into tears at, the to- at that time because they have found someone who would touch them. Now, and, and let's just point out here that Jesus doesn't have to touch him. Jesus could have stood at a safe distance kind of away from the mess of this situation, he could have stood at a safe distance and just pronounced cleansing. He could have spoken it, and this guy would have been cleansed, healed. He, he could have done it that way, but he didn't do it that way. He didn't stand at a distance. He entered the mess, and he touched. He reached out and grabbed this man. Now, just let this be just a picture of the wholesome healing of the gospel. That it's not just a physical healing, not just an emotional healing, not just a, a, a spiritual healing. It is a complete healing. It's in all of those things. Like when, when Jesus saves and redeems and cleanses, it is a whole healing that he gives. Jesus isn't just dealing with this man's broken body. He's dealing with the man's broken soul. Are we seeing that? that there's more to it than just this guy's leprosy. There is this guy's emotional soul that Jesus is coming after. And look at verse 42. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And and it's just interesting. Let me just kind of just roughly or briefly kind of brush through this. But it's just interesting that whenever you see Jesus dealing with lepers, although he is healing them, he never says the word healing. It's always this word cleansing. And you see it emphasized in this passage, four times in six verses. There's this word cleansing, that this man needed more than to be physically healed. His problem was that he was cut off from God, cut off from the community of God, that he was defiled, he was stained, he had dirt on him because of this leprosy. And what Jesus did in this moment was more than healing this man, it was cleansing this man. Right? It was removing the stain from this man. It's the biblical doctrine, and here you go, a big theological word of expiation. And it's this big theological rich word that you should commit to memory, expiation. That here's the, it's, it's basically announcing the good news of this gospel reality, that Jesus can make us clean. Amen? Expiation. He, he's saying in this moment, that listen, I have got the power to make you clean. So so this is what happens. This is what the leper did. And now here comes the turn of the morning. What must we do? What what must we do? There is a sense in which every passage in the Bible, specifically these passages that are dealing with Jesus healing people, 
also function as parables. They're teaching us about God and about us. And, and this passage is no different. Th this healing moment where Jesus heals this leper, it is a parable showing us some things about God and showing us some things about you and I. And here's the big truth. Are you ready for this? That this leper is us. Right? That this leper is us. That, that as this leper goes, so goes our life. And, and so there are things we must do that this, this passage is pressing on us to do. And, and here are the three. Just like the leper, here's the first one. That we have to recognize our leprosy. We have to recognize our leprosy. The spiritual reality for everyone in the room is that you are a spiritual leper. Are we seeing that? The spiritual reality for every person in the room is that you, not the person beside you, three, three seats down, but you are a spiritual leper. Now the question is, do you see yourself like that? Do you, do you see yourself as a spiritual leper? Throughout the scriptures, leprosy, it, it's interesting, it's, it's, it's symbolic for sin. So, so when you think of leprosy in the Bible, one of the reasons that Leviticus sidelines leprosy and spends two chapters on the defilement of leprosy and how to cleanse leprosy, the reason it does that is because it's got this symbolic nature. So let me just kind of run through how sin and leprosy, how they coincide with each other. This will be on the screen for you. Sin separates us from God and one another. And here's the reality of leprosy. So does it. Do you see the connection? Sin slowly rots away human life. So does leprosy. Sin is not at first easy to diagnose. It works secretly and silently, just like leprosy. Sin disfigures and distorts and disforms us. So does leprosy. Sin deadens our senses. So does leprosy. Sin leads us into loneliness and isolation. And isolation It separates us from the people of God. So does leprosy. Ultimately, sin causes death. So does leprosy. Are you seeing this? That, that this leprosy in this passage, this leper is meant to be a picture of you. That just like this man has... A physical disease, you've got this spiritual disease called sin, this leprous disease called sin that is running throughout your body. And, and so the question is, do you see yourself as a spiritual leper? Do you, do you see yourself this way? You, you know, the problem with, uh, with, with this idea of spiritual leprosy is unlike physical leprosy, a lot of times we can be unaware of it, Right? We can just be unaware of this disease that is coursing through us called sin. When the leper, all he has to do is hold up his hand and see it. But the Bible, namely God, is very clear in announcing that by nature, because of who we are, our sin nature, and by choice, because of our actions, that we are all spiritual lepers. Now some of us want to recoil at that. Are you kidding me? You're, you're telling me I am that disgusting to God? as grotesque and deformed as a leper is, if that's what I look like before God, the answer is yes. That's exactly what we're saying. And, and, and the reason that, that some of us can't see that is because we've gotten real good at comparing ourselves to people in this room and the world. And, and listen, the world is really one big leper colony, amen? Right? And we've just become really good at comparing ourselves to other lepers. It makes us look a lot better. But before God, listen, he sees us as deformed and distorted as lepers are. This is our condition before God. We're defiled before God. We're tainted. We're stained. We're dirty before God because of our spiritual leprosy. And if you can't feel that and see that and know that and embrace that, you'll never become a Christian. Are we seeing that? I, like this question has massive implications for your life. Do you see yourself as a spiritual leper? See, it is a spiritual necessity for you to start seeing yourself like that. Listen to, to Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the, the greatest preachers of the last century. Listen to him describe this spiritual necessity of seeing your sinful condition. Here's how he says it. This will be on the screen for you. He says, what is more, unless you have experienced that, like 
walking in the reality of your spiritual leprosy, unless you have experienced that, you are not a Christian. You do not believe in Christ as your personal Savior. Until you realize that, your spiritual leprosy, you cannot possibly have felt the need of Christ. You may have felt the need of help and advice and comfort, but until you awake to the fact that your nature itself is evil, until you realize that your trouble is that you yourself are wrong, that your whole nature is wrong, until you realize that, you will have never felt the need of a Savior. Christ cannot help or advise or comfort until he has first of all saved you, until he has changed your nature. Oh my friends, have you felt this? God have mercy upon you if you haven't. You may have been inside the church all of your life and actively engaged in its work, but still I say, and I'm merely repeating what is said repeatedly in the Bible, that unless you have at some time or other felt that your very nature itself is sinful, your spiritual leprosy, that you are, in the words of St. Paul, dead in your sin, then you have never known Jesus Christ as a Savior. And if you do not know him as a Savior, you do not know him at all. So it's just a question. Do you, can you feel your spiritual leprosy? Can you see that? Are you living in the awareness of that? So we have to, to see and recognize our leprosy. And secondly, we have to believe there is one who can cleanse us from it. Welcome to the good news of the gospel, right? I, preaching is not primarily intended to show you what is wrong with you, although it needs to do that. But it's never intended to leave you in that. It's never intended to leave you in what's wrong with you, but it's what's right in Jesus. That's what it's intended to do, to take you to all that Jesus has done for us, to remind us of his perfect work for us. So when we're thinking leprosy, it's bigger than leprosy. Leprosy is actually this symbolic picture of sin. And this is why in this text, this guy needs more than healing. He needs cleansing. And it's showing us a picture of what we need. That we need more than physical salvation. We need cleansing from God. Now, a few weeks ago in the Bible reading plan, we came across Leviticus uh, 16. Now, we, we could do a little quick show of hands to see who's reading that Bible reading plan right now, right? So we came across Leviticus 16, where uh, it talks about the Day of Atonement. And it is this beautiful picture in Luke 16, where you've got two lambs. The high priest would take two lambs on the Day of Atonement, two perfect lambs, to atone for, to make a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And, and here was what would happen with lamb number one. It's the big theological word, propitiation. Another word worth committing to memory, propitiation. So this first lamb would be taken inside of the tabernacle, inside of the temple, and he would be slaughtered for the sins of the people. So, so see the picture. The people had sinned. God is angry, has wrath about their sin. So you would lead goat number one in, lamb number one in, perfect lamb number one, and he would be killed in the place of the people. So rather than God wiping out the whole people of Israel, all of that wrath would be centered on that lamb and he would be slaughtered in their place. Propitiation. That we have a sacrifice for our sin. We have a substitute for our sin. We don't have to endure God's wrath. We've got a substitute that has endured God's wrath. That's lamb number one on the Day of Atonement. But here is lamb number two on the Day of Atonement. The high priest would take lamb, perfect lamb number two, he would lead him into the tabernacle, and he would put both of his hands on the forehead of that perfect lamb. And he would recite all the sins of the people. And he would place those sins on the head of that lamb. And then they would send that lamb out into the wilderness where he, where, where he would live for the rest of his life away from people as the outcast. And here's what it is. It's not the picture of, of God forgiving our sin, that's propitiation. It's the picture of expiation. God cleansing us from our sin. See, the high priest would take all the sins of the people, their defilement, the dirt, the stain of their sin. He would place it on this perfect lamb, send that perfect lamb out into the wilderness to remove the stain from the people. 
See, the Day of Atonement is this announcement, it's this foreshadowing of the gospel that in Jesus, we're not just forgiven of our sin, that in Jesus, we are cleansed from our sin, right? That, that in Jesus, now we can look at our sin and know and believe the great gospel promise of Psalms 103, verse 12, that God has removed our sin as far from us as the east is from the west. That's how far. That the stain of our sin has been removed. Our defilement is now gone. The dirt on us because of sin has been washed away from us. That, that is the good news of expiation. This great announcement that Jesus cleanses us. Now, let me just apply this to the room in a couple of different ways. Do you know that if you're in Christ that you have been cleansed from your sin? That, do you know that? If you're in Christ, you have been cleansed. The stain of your sin has been wiped away. The defilement of your sin, like I'm talking even the worst of your sins has been removed from you. This is the, this is the reason that um, in the Bible, you know when the church is pictured, like especially in Revelation, it's always pictured in these brilliant white clothes. You know why that is? Because of expiation, because we have a Savior that cleanses us, that purifies us. Now, here's what it also means. It doesn't, it doesn't just mean that, that your worst sins that you have committed, the stain has been removed, but listen to this. It even means the stain of being sinned against, that, that even those stains have been removed. It, it's really interesting. I, I was reading this just a few days ago. Uh, this a lady who had been sexually abused, and, and she made this comment that ever since that moment, I have just felt so dirty. And do you know what the good news of expiation, the great gospel reality is, that Jesus can even cleanse that? Amen. Now, here's the truth in this room today. Statistics would say that one out of five people sitting in the room today, right now, have been sexually abused in some way, shape, or form. And I'm just assuming in this room right now, that there are a lot of us that feel really dirty because of that. It's the reason that like 65% of people who have been sexually abused never tell anyone. Because there's so much shame and guilt and, and staining and, and dirt that comes along with that. And, and can I just pronounce this over you? Jesus has made you clean. The, the good news of the gospel is that you don't have to live with that stain. Let me apply it in this way as well. In, in the history of the people of Israel, it had been 800 years since a person with leprosy had been healed. 800 years. Now, I, I'm just saying this. If I'm the person that has leprosy and it's been 800 years since there's been someone healed from that, I'm probably thinking this. I'm probably getting real cynical. Are, are you, I mean, are you, are you serious? Can this really go down? Can this really happen? And I just wonder how many of us have grown very cynical in the besetting sins in our life. You, you know those sins that, that, man, we have warred against for what seems like decades. We, I mean, we have shouted the name of Jesus at it. We've done everything we know to do, and it's still there. I just wonder how many of us have grown cynical in that. You know what I love about verse 42 is that word immediately. I mean, can I just remind you that Jesus has the power, like right now in this room, in this moment, to take those things away immediately? Man, if you've grown cynical in those things, man, can I just encourage you to re-engage in the war against those? Man, knowing that, that Jesus actually has the power to do those things in you, to redeem those things in you. That's the second thing he did. He, he recognized that there was a person who could make him clean. And here was the third thing, is that he ran to the one who could make us clean. He ran to him. I, and, and, and we, like the spiritual leper, in the same way have to run to the one that can make us clean. We have to go after him. And if you want the picture of this, what this looks like in the Bible, 1 John 1.9 is a great picture of it. Here it is on the screen for you. 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins... 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen to that. To cleanse us. Expiation. That Jesus can make you clean. And you know what's interesting? That this leper, his question was not if God could do it, but will God do it? It was a question of willingness. And how certain should we be on this side of the cross, knowing all that Jesus has done for us, that Jesus would be more than willing to cleanse us? Amen? That it's not a question of of the willingness of God anymore. It's not a question of the willingness of Jesus. That for every person in the room, you come on your knees before God, humble. Your posture, humble before God. We can have an absolute expectation that Jesus will be willing to cleanse us. And let me finish with this. Question number four. How can Jesus make us clean? I mean, how, how can he do that? And we see a clue of this in the last three verses of this passage. Look at verse 43. And Jesus sternly charged him and said, and sent him away at once. And said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it. He's not doing a very good job right here. And to spread the news. Let me do the exact opposite. So that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in, listen to this word, desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. You know, I think it's interesting when you think about how the story starts and how the story ends. When the story starts, who was the person in desolate places? On the out, he was the outcast on the outskirts of town. Had to be outside the city. Who, who was that? It was the leper, wasn't it? But who do we find in the desolate places at the end of the story? Jesus. And let this just walk us into the good news of the gospel. If you want to know how it is that Jesus can make us clean people, here it is. He trades places with us. That's how. That Jesus, just like our leper at the beginning of the story, Jesus walked down the dusty, dirty road that led outside of the city. That led up to the little hill outside of the city where he would get on a tree. And on that journey, he would take all the disdaining and the disgusting looks of the crowd who looked at him as if he were a criminal, as if he was subhuman, no longer deserving to live. And on that journey, he would crawl up onto the hill. And he wouldn't sit under the tree on the hill. He would actually climb on the tree that's on that hill overlooking the city. And it is there on that hill that Jesus took all of our spiritual leprosy on himself. He he took the physical piece of leprosy. On the cross, he took the physical pain of crucifixion. He took the social condition of leprosy. He became the outcast. He became the one disdained and and had the disgusting looks at him. He became that for you and I, traded places with us. And he took the spiritual condition of leprosy. Do, Do you remember that moment where right before Jesus dies, he looks up at God and he expresses to God, who is his father, why have you forsaken me? That Jesus was forsaken just like the leper. Jesus was forgotten just like the leper. And Jesus was forgotten not just like the leper, but for the leper. That we have a Jesus who trades places with us. That we have a Jesus who takes on all of our stain, all of the defilement of our sin, and passes on to us all of his perfection. He gets the soil. We get the perfect white garments. Do you know why in the Bible, especially in Revelation, when you're looking at how the church is presented, do you know why it is that it's always presented in this beautiful, magnificent white? Here's why. Because on the cross, Jesus didn't just take the penalty of your sin. He also removed the stain of your sin. Amen? Let's pray together. Let me give you just a second to 
sit in that expiation that Jesus can make us clean. And just for you to sit in that, for the Spirit of God to press into you the things that would be most helpful, to wipe away the things that would be unhelpful today. I want to take a second just to specifically address those of you in the room who you know, you walked in this morning and and there's never been a moment in your life where you have responded to God in faith where God has saved you. You you know that. Man, I just want to, to remind you and to press on you just for a second this morning to just remind you that before God, you have spiritual leprosy, that you're not okay before God. But Jesus has made a way for you to be okay before God. He has died on the cross for your sin, taking all the wrath your sin deserves upon himself. But not just, not just dying for the penalty of your sin, also dying for the stain of your sin so that you could not only be forgiven, but that you could be cleansed. And what, what a wonderful day. If that is you, you've never responded to God in faith. What a wonderful day for you to look up to God and say, God, here I am. Here's my life. God, I am trusting you to count Jesus' work toward me. That because of Jesus, that you will forgive me. That because of Jesus, you will cleanse me. Because of Jesus, that you'll save me. Man, and here is the beautiful reality. Here's what you can take to the bank. If your heart is saying that today, you can know that because of Jesus, God is absolutely 100% willing to do that. To not just forgive you, but to cleanse you right now in this moment, this morning. And you know, I I think it's interesting when you think about this leper in this story. He's immediately cleansed by Jesus. But his leprosy doesn't all just go away, right? Like he he turns right back around after he's cleansed. And he immediately sins against the very one that cleansed him. I I just can't help but think there's a lot of us in the room like this morning that are believers in Jesus. You've been saved from your sin. But that we need to run to God. We need to confess our sin to God knowing that he is faithful and just to cleanse us this morning afresh. So so I just wonder how many of us walked in this morning to this room with sexual leprosy. Pornography is just a consistent part of our life. Mentally, We are lusting, just sexual leprosy. The good news of the gospel is that you run to God, you confess your sin to God, he will cleanse you. I just wonder how many of us this morning have anger leprosy? How many of us have pride leprosy? How many of us have self-righteous leprosy? We've got these little standards, and if people don't meet our standards, then, then they're not welcome into our circles. If they don't meet the dress standards, the look standards, the income standards, whatever our little standards are, then they're, they're not welcome. We're depending on our good behavior to gain us approval. To God, I just wonder how many of us brought in self-righteous leprosy this morning. I wonder how many of us brought in approval leprosy. That we are living our lives for the verdict and the approval of other people. The fear of man. Rather than living in the approval and the verdict that God pronounces over our life. I wonder how many are are bringing in comfort leprosy. You're looking for it in pornography. You're looking for it in food. You're looking for it in work. You're looking for it in whatever you can find it in other than Jesus. 
comfort leprosy? How about, how about control leprosy? If I don't have just every little detail of my life lined out where I don't have to depend on God, then life's not going to be okay. Shows itself in anxiety and worry and frustration. I wonder how many of us brought that in today. Here is the good news of the gospel. Not only in Jesus does God forgive us of those things, but in Jesus, he removes the stain of those things. I wonder how many of us just need to sit in that expiation that Jesus can make us clean. That there's these incredible pictures and these symbolic kind of images throughout the Bible of expiation that Jesus makes us clean. And one of those is baptism. That, that as we identify in the death and burial of Jesus, that we are saved from our sin. Our sin is washed away from us. And the picture is, just as you get in those baptismal waters and the water washes away your stain, the dirt and the defilement of your sin, the filth that you have. It's the symbolic picture of what Jesus does, how he cleanses us on the cross. And so maybe just as a practical application, every time we bathe, we shower, maybe we could just remind ourselves that Jesus in the gospel has promised to make us clean. And so we'll, we'll finish and, and respond by singing a song called Come Ye Sinners. And I just want to read these words over you, the lyrics of this song before we sing them. I think it's just such an apt fitting or an apt ending to, to this text. Come ye sinners. Verse 1. Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore, spiritual lepers, come you. And here's what you can find. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. Verse 2, come ye thirsty, come and welcome God's free bounty glorified. True belief and true repentance, every grace that brings you nigh. Verse 3, come ye weary, heavy burdened, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry until you're better, like if you think you're going to be able to, to get your spiritual leprosy under control by yourself, if you tarry until you're better, you'll never come at all. Chorus. This is my prayer for us. I will arise and go to Jesus, who's faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse he will embrace me in his arms, in the arms of my dear Savior. Oh, there are 10,000 charms, and one of those is this great doctrine of expiation, that Jesus can make you clean. So God, I pray that you would do that today. God, I pray that would be not just heard, but felt God, I pray that we would be a people confessing, like right now in this moment, there are people who have not confessed some deep and dark sins in their life to anyone because they feel stained and defiled and soiled by it. And God, I pray that right now in this moment, there would be this overwhelming sense of Jesus has cleansed that. And it would produce in them a freedom to talk to confess, to experience cleansing and forgiveness. We pray you would. We pray you do it now. It's in your good name. Amen. Why don't you stand with us? Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.